You're listening to the It's Okay to Cry podcast with Bronte Spicer. Conversations on dissolving depression the gentle way and rebuilding our model for mental health. Welcome back, everyone, to the It's Okay to Cry podcast. This is episode five, and this has been such an amazing journey to bring these episodes to you. I'm very excited about episode today, and this episode is sponsored by Beyond Belief Self-Study, which is a self-paced online course that I offer, and it teaches you a set of techniques to unhook from your negative sense of self and to help you improve your mental health. So today I have Angela McLeod and she's a Qigong facilitator and also a KI facilitator. And actually, Angela, you helped me train to become a KI facilitator. And I've also just recently done an additional course with you called Nervous System Resilience. And I came away from that understanding so much more about myself and learning how to navigate my own mental health. And I've also started sharing the techniques that you taught me with my clients. So it's such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. You have had experience with mental illness as well. And also now you're in the profession of supporting people with their mental health. So thank you so much for joining me, Angela, and welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here with you. Excellent. So I want to start off with Seth Porges' quote, and Seth Porges is Stephen Porges' son who came up with polyvagal theory. This episode is going to be about, it's going to be about the science, which is really funny because I really didn't like science. (laughs) (laughs) But understanding the science is just, it's helping me connect the dots so much and helping me, yeah, understand my own self and be more self-aware. And so this is what this episode's all about. So Seth Porges' quote, I, I listened to something, presentation of his, and he said, mental illness is not a psychological issue, it's a physiological issue. And I love that so much because my experience was uh, going to have talk therapy with psychologists and counsellors for so long. We'd go around in circles and I'd get a little bit of understanding or clarity, but then my depression never went away. And it really backs up this, all of the KI work that we do of helping ourselves and our clients come into the body and learn how to feel safe to feel our feelings. Before we dive into the science of the nervous system and how that can help us manage our mental health and improve our mental health. Angela, would you like to just share your own experience of mental illness and how you have arrived in this space of being so passionate about the nervous system? Yeah, sure. Yeah, for most of my adult life, maybe even as a child, I experienced depression to some degree or another and was diagnosed with chronic major depression and was prescribed antidepressants, which didn't help at all with the depression. And then there were side effects that were awful to me. And so I just didn't proceed with that. Also, when I look back on my life, I would say that anxiety has also been a major theme, which I didn't really even identify that just the always feeling stressed and nervous around people and social situations. It's like, when you live with something all of your life, it, it's just, it is what it is. It's, you don't even have a label for it if you grew up with it. And you cope as best you can. And you even identify 
with it, this is just who I am. So that that was true for me. And then as I became in my 20s, as I got older, and things actually got more difficult for me at certain points with depression, then I started to get identified by the medical profession, started identifying what was going on with me. And so at that point, antidepressants weren't helping me. And there were different things that went on at that, that this period in my life where I had gone through my, my undergraduate and got a graduate degree and it was on a career path, but some, uh, a dear beloved friend of mine died suddenly and a few things happened all at once. And it was like my whole world collapsed. And so the depression, which was there all the time and the anxiety and these life events catapulted me over, I felt like over a cliff where I just became super depressed. And then I developed an eating disorder, which was pretty intense for me at that point. But I, when I look back on it, I realized that I was just grabbing for something to have control, to have some way of coping. And, and for me, it manifested as an eating disorder. And then later, I also started drinking alcohol. So my path with mental illness led into addiction, which was really horrifying to me because as a young adult and then into my 30s, I had already knew that was not good. That was a, a bad path to go on. So then I felt ashamed and I went into a lot of isolation, which only made everything worse. And so I did try a lot of different kinds of therapy and self-help things. I, I tried the antidepressants and none of them really helped. There, was, there were like moments where I felt like understanding or insight or it felt good that somebody was listening to me but the medical system really didn't have help for me. Even the 12 step programs that I was involved in, there was a little bit of feeling of help and relief, but it wasn't enough. So I spent quite a few years of my adult life in this mode of struggle and, Mm -hmm. and finally finding the right kind of help so that I was able to stop the addictions, but also the depression wasn't helped. So in just in my own studies, I came to an understanding that that there was something underneath that was driving the addiction, that the addiction wasn't the problem. And I wish I understood that earlier because I spent so much time trying to control and get abstinent from the addiction, feeling so much shame, relapsing. And then even when I would get control, so to speak, then I would just be miserable with the anxiety and the depression. And so I wish that I had understood much earlier on that I needed to work with dealing with the mental health issues. The addiction was part of it, but the mental health issues were the underlying. And then as I started to find the kind of help that worked for me, I came to recognize that a lot of it was rooted in early childhood trauma that was unresolved, that I didn't even understand how that was still how that kind of shaped my nervous system, how it shaped my view of the world, how it was even underlying the depression. So that's some of my history of of what I dealt with and finding, finding a really good therapist so that there's a lot of therapy and therapists out there, but I had to find the right person at the right time for me. That was really important. It got me a toehold into my, my, I would call my healing path. But even in the midst of doing good therapy, I felt like it's only when I'm doing the therapy with this person 
that I felt relief, but in my day-to-day life, I still was pretty miserable. And somewhere along the line, one of the things I realized is that I really needed to have, I need to reclaim my passion for life. Like, why am I here? So I, I, go, I went back to dance, which was my passion in my 20s. And instead of actually going back to dance, I got into Qigong, which is a mindful movement form, really ancient, beautiful, uh, mindful movement practice. And I dove in to a teacher training program. Now, this is the pivot point for me because it was doing a practice every day that engaged my body, my breath, and my mind, my focus in a positive way. It was the combination and doing it every day that after a period of, I'd say, three or four months, and of course, I wanted to do it and I loved it. So that combination like made this huge transformation for me. Now, it didn't solve everything. But I got this glimpse of, oh, I feel okay. I don't feel like I'm struggling all the time. And I, right along that, with that, I became, I, I was I'm introduced to the nervous system studies, the current, there's a sort of boom right now in understanding how the polyvagal theory, applying that to trauma therapy. And I dove into that. So I started taking courses because it, it made, it explained what I was experiencing. So I'm not a science geek either. I did not enjoy science when I was in school, but to have it explained in scientific terms, what I was experiencing took shame away. It was like, oh, this is my nervous system is dysregulated and I'm I'm completely stressed or I'm depressed and this is a nervous system thing. And that took away shame for me and it empowered me. Because with the Qigong, I was experiencing, not just intellectually understanding it, but I was experiencing how it regulated my nervous system, how my urges for addiction evaporated. It was like, I recognized that the reason that people reach for substances or behaviors is because they're just desperate to calm down, to calm the nervous system, or to come out of a freeze mode that's nervous system based. So that's my story in just a quick sweep to how I got to where I am now. I'm a a certified Qigong teacher. I love to teach Qigong. And that for me is also my personal practice. I I then dove into the Killaby Inquiries training program, which helped me on a whole nother level. I don't think I could have done the Killaby Inquiries training program if I hadn't found the whole nervous system work. I needed to center my nervous system before I would be able to do deep inquiry and work with the healing of the deep trauma. I think that's a really important point that you probably recognize as well. I do recognize that. Yeah, I guess I know what you mean because I think maybe for me it was my meditation practice that had helped me stabilize my nervous system enough to be ready to to look at the scary memories and the and and the frightening words that that I process through KI and I want to speak to those people who are in that space of being interested in practicing the killer bee inquiries but terrified of feeling all the feelings and going to the pain going towards the pain and looking at 
stories that really hurt or looking at at memories. So I agree with you, Angela, that stabilizing the nervous system in the way that works for you and whether it's mindfulness or qigong i've i have a client who practices qigong as well and and she just speaks so highly of it and i guess for those people who just can't sit still it's first of all it's not your fault and i want to talk more on that but there are that kind of approach to through movement and connecting the mind and the body in that one motion or process or technique can be a really great pathway or introduction to then process the bigger trauma uh, or if you're not resonating with the word trauma your baggage or the bad stuff that happened when you were a kid which we've all had, we've all got our own story. I want to touch on what you talked about, that shame with addiction. And and what I heard was that when people move into addictions or they start having an addiction, it's a coping mechanism. They're really helping themselves feel safe. So that it's, yeah, it's a way of coping. And what I got out of a lot out of your course, which was called Nervous System Resilience, what was that I realised that it wasn't my fault. I realised that this was all an an automatic reaction, so the automatic nervous system in my body that, like, for example, if I was freezing in conversations or, yeah, really not able to speak or not able to get my words out or... Or perhaps even like that real sense, that overwhelming and intense sense of dread I used to have um, Mm. and I still have from time to time. Every now and then I have this wave of intense dread rise through my body, which I used to label depression. I realised with your work and, and understanding more about the nervous system is that it's not my fault. It happens before the thinking mind and perhaps that's a great way a great segue to the polyvagal theory because one of the one of the parts to polyvagal theory is neuroception which would you mind sharing what neuroception yeah that's a term that i think stephen porges coined when you think of the word perception the way we perceive that's a conscious awareness of something going on you perceive something neuro okay perception neuroception is our neural biology perceiving something but below the level of our awareness so our nervous system is continually picking up signals in the environment and inside of us as well and then that information is fed up to the brain and then even at the lower brain stem which we, again, we don't have a lot of conscious control of. It's more of like the primitive brain interprets threat, interprets the environment. And if you think about it just in terms of evolution, that, that we, in order to survive, we need to be aware of if there's danger or threat in our environment. And we need to respond immediately. And so maybe in our modern lifestyle, there's not a lot of immediate threats like tigers chasing us at any moment but we still have that primitive circuitry in our nervous system that's alert and looking for for danger signals it's also looking for safety so um part of neuroception that's at the not at the conscious level is that when we walk into a room with other people in the room that there's a part of our 
awareness, our underneath our awareness that we're watching for signals of welcome or with, and safety or signals of danger. How does the person look at me? What is the energy or the vibe in the room? And then our bodies respond to that without our choice. So if I walk into a room and I'm perceiving, or I think I'm perceiving, or my body's perceiving that it's not safe, or I might be criticized or judged, or I don't know these people, this kind of feeling tone is unsafe, then our, our heart rate might start beating faster we, without our choice. Like we don't choose to have our heart go into a kind of a panic mode, but it's our primitive nervous system aspect that is be getting ready to protect us. So that's a normal thing. It's normal. It's actually in this, in a sense, we want to think that our bodies have the ability to respond immediately to any threat of danger, but it's, it's actually when we get stuck, it's when our nervous system gets stuck in the, in one of those modes of feeling afraid or shutting down kind of one of the um, nervous system responses to threat is to withdraw or shut down, run away, or fight, defend. And it, it's when we get stuck in those modes that, and by stuck, I mean that instead of a moment of what fear, and then you come back, oh, it's safe here. I feel it's okay. I'm safe. And the body calms back down. And then we want to engage with people. We want to do things in a social manner. That would be a healthy, adapted nervous system that can respond and come back to that normal, calm baseline mode. But a lot of us, our nervous system stays stuck in the um, survival network mode. And that's when, when we, we start to have issues. That's when we start, if we imagine if you're chronically afraid you're chronically in an anxious mode, that's a survival mode mechanism in the nervous system. And when it's stuck on, we just think we're always stressed or we're always worried or we're always you know, irritable or we're, we're always ready to argue with people. Those aren't normal. That's not normally really who most of us are. And it, it's that, but it's when we get our nervous system gets stuck in that survival mode that we start to just behave in these ways and we think it's normal. Okay. And I guess I also, I, I do want to ask, I feel like when I, when I talk about natural rest being our true nature, and I look around in the world and look at other people, I don't think most people mm. really see that to be the, our baseline. Uh, whereas stress seems to be in and interweaved into our everyday life so much so that we're just used to that's that's just how life is and that's just normal. I, I agree. I and I don't like to label that our whole modern culture is basically in a constant stress mode in a, in a nervous system survival circuit, but to me it actually looks like that is true for most people a lot of the time. And that becomes a normal. I'm crazy busy all the time. You hear people say that. Well, that doesn't sound relaxed and like life is friendly and restful. And, and then that's normal. That's what everybody's used to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really feeling like perhaps we'll do a part two, Angela, if you're if you're on the <laughs> because there's so much to share here. Yeah. One thing I want to take from what you shared was that 
I had this realisation around that my body is actually working for me. So when I have these intense sensations, now that I have language for that, or if I yeah, have the heart palpitations or the contraction in my throat when it doesn't feel safe to speak, maybe the shakes, even the shakes in, in my legs I had a couple of weeks ago, that is a, it's a response that the, the nervous system is helping to protect us to, so we are mm-hmm. safe. So again, that, yeah, just helps me realize that there's no threat inside my body that actually and I guess that's how it's been it's been like I'm fighting myself getting annoyed with myself because my my body and my brain my mind are doing these things that I don't want them to but it's actually it's helping to protect and then absolutely what you're sharing is these pathways to come out of protection back into a sense of safety and then connection and I also would like to share a real life example in my life that I got so much understanding and clarity from working with you in the course was around first of all that the freeze response is separate to the fight flight response so yeah perhaps I'll just share or would you like to share that Angela of the three different nervous systems yeah I'd love to Yeah, this is a wonderful thing that Stephen Porges gave to us that shifted our understanding of the nervous system. Previous to his polyvagal theory, our understanding of the nervous system is that we would either be in a fight or flight mode. So we're going to run away or we're going to fight, or we would be in a calm mode. our, Our system would be calm. We could be social. We could A lot of our body functions, like the immune system, uh, the digestive system, our ability to really relax and sleep, our body's ability to heal, those things all come online when we're in the nervous system circuit that's called the parasympathetic nervous system, the ventral branch. When we get activated, when when our bodies feel that there's a threat, it shifts to this other circuit which is called the sympathetic nervous system. And it, 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 everything goes on hold in terms of digestion. Literally, your digestive system will just stop working because the body is getting ready to run or fight. Physiologically, the heart rate pounds, breathing gets shallow and quick. So it's physiological, but then also our minds, we don't, we're not, we don't have the luxury to think creatively. Our minds actually shut down our frontal cortex so that we're in this mode of what do I need to do to get out of here? We don't even think about it, literally, because we're reacting in that defense mode. Stephen Parr just recognized that there's a third branch or circuit of the nervous system that's it's also part of the parasympathetic, but it is a different branch called the dorsal vagal, and it's a shutdown mode. So it actually is a survival response. So think again, if you're in a more primitive sort of situation in the animal in the animal world, we are, we have an animal body and we still have evolutionarily, we have a primitive nervous system circuit that's more like from the reptilian stage of our evolution. And that is when there's danger and you can't fight and you can't run away you could, you can, your body will shut down and dissociate. It will basically go limp. And 
this is a very extreme response. And most of this in our day-to-day life, we don't literally black out or go completely limp. That would be the most extreme. But we have versions of that where we can't think very clearly. We can't feel what's going on in our bodies. We go along with things. This may sound familiar to people who deal with this kind of a response in the nervous system where we're not sure what we want to do. We go along with what people are saying because we're not really sure what we want to do. We don't feel like we can assert ourselves or we try to please people because that feels safer. Sure, I'll do it. Yeah, I want to. But even though I don't know what I want, I will go along with that. Now, I know this is that was the one that kind of got, you know, set up in my nervous system from my early childhood where it wasn't safe to fight or run away. And so I just became a pleaser. I pleased. I was a good girl. I had no idea what I really wanted. Nobody wanted to know what I felt, but I felt like I knew that if I could do what, what, what they wanted me to do and was a good girl, then I would not be hurt as much. And so that became my nervous system baseline. That's also set me up for depression. Think about as an adult being depressed. I don't have any motivation. I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to isolate. I don't have energy. I don't feel like connecting. Those kinds of qualities of experience that become, and you think that's who you are, or you think you're stuck there. To get back to your your question, the polyvagal theory identifies these three different nervous system branches, fight or flight, the shutdown, freeze, or please, and then the calm, connect, engage with other people mode that we want to be in that part of our nervous system. We want that engaged most of the time to really function at our optimum, to enjoy life, to, to be creative. And so to me, that's what I'm passionate about is like helping people recognize what part of their nervous system is being engaged and stuck. If it's stuck in one of those survival modes, it's draining. We're not going to enjoy life. We're going to have trouble in relationships. We're going to either be fighting a lot or hiding a lot. We might turn towards addiction because it's so draining and there's no fun in life and that's a way to cope. And to realize that we can bring awareness to those nervous system circuits in our own bodies and help ourselves shift to that calm mode again. And that just feels like so empowering and yeah. Everything that you're saying, especially the examples, is relatable. And you talked about dissociation, which is that comes from that freeze response, that dorsal vagal response. And I, again, can very much relate to that. And that gave me a, a sense of understanding in my teenage years because I was too in my family home in a position where if I fought back, then I would get in trouble. And I couldn't flee because then I would be homeless. So I now I can very much clearly see that then I moved into the dorsal vagal response and, and shifted in dissociation, which part of that, which you touched on, is where we disconnect from our bodies. And then you, I ended up and we end up as human beings, we end up living in our heads, uh-huh. which, then mental illness is very much focused on cognitive 
therapy and mm. I had no idea how to be in my body. I remember people saying to me, come into your body. I had no idea what that meant. I, I had no idea what feelings I had. I when I had no no connection with my body. So if you are in for anyone who's listening who's feelings like because that's what I did too I didn't value emotional health I didn't see that working with my emotions or connecting with my emotions was going to be an answer for me because I just was like just get rid of these thoughts in my head yeah <laughs> I couldn't yeah. see the connection between the body and the mind yeah I just want to really thank you Angela for offering the wisdom that you bring that's so relatable and 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 practical and although we can't really share the somatic based or movement based techniques that that you teach and that now I offer in my sessions and, and are being very well received how can we create that sense of ba- that baseline that is in that rest digest phase and, and bring a sense of calm before you might move into something like the killer bee inquiries to process the bigger stuff Yeah, I'd like to start by saying that even if you have mental health issues or addiction issues, or you recognize that you're constantly stressed or depressed, and you you identify with what we're saying here, that we still all have some times in our life when we were in, we are in that calm circuitry of our nervous system, where we feel relaxed, where we feel enjoyment or joy, where we we're with somebody that we trust that we feel comfortable with. And so we can start by first recognizing that it's very natural, our bodies want to come into regulation, and we want to and a lot of the techniques that and the activities that I share with people, they're really simple. And they're really a lot of them are actually things that people do anyway like hugging your pet. If you, a lot of people have pets that they love and they probably know that feeling when you're sitting with your cat or you're playing with your dog and you just feel, you feel their joy and you play with them. So there's a lot of naturalness to all of this kind of work. It's just recognizing what works for you. And we could even do one really quick, small thing right now. And even though people can't see us, if they're just listening to an audit auditory version of this of this podcast we could do it right now even just for a few seconds we can both take a deep breath and lift our shoulders up toward our ears breathe in big and then sigh audibly as you exhale (sighs) and let your shoulders drop let's do that a few times breathe in and lift your shoulders and then exhale and sigh (sighs) let your shoulders drop do it again (sighs) and then just put your hand one or two hands on your heart maybe even have your eyes closed and just feel your hands on your heart let yourself breathe maybe a little bit bigger deeper breaths than you might usually do one thing about having your eyes closed is you can just really feel into your body a little bit even if it's just for a split second noticing a little shift For some people, that sigh, a big breath, moving the shoulders a little bit can feel like a little release of tension. If you can just savor that for a moment, that 
sends a signal to your nervous system that it's okay to relax right now. So that's one just tiny example of something that you can do. It's the kind of thing that I teach. It's finding something that you love. So for some people, it could be a kind of a sport or a game. It could be playing with your pet. It can be writing in your journal. It's starting to notice when you feel calm and safe. Those are two words, key words. If I'm with people, if I have a special friend, <clears throat> probably what makes them a special friend is that I feel safe with them. I feel calm, feel comfortable. Or even if I feel excited, it feels like a fun excitement, not a stressful kind of excitement. So that would be a starting point is just to notice what you already, what your body already knows and just start to engage that more, make time for it. Yeah. Find situations where you can do it more with other people Yeah, or take my course. That's it. Yeah. And I'll put the information for your course in the show notes and Angela. Yeah. It's so simple. Those techniques are so simple and they feel so good. So thank you so much for your time today. It's You're welcome. Yeah, really happy to bring your knowledge and also your, your practical techniques into this space. And yeah, perhaps we'll come back with a second episode on co-regulation. Okay. Awesome. All right. Lovely to be with you too. Thank you, Angela. Okay, bye-bye.